The Scream Kings are in no way responsible for any encounters with the paranormal, extraterrestrial abductions, eldritch insanity, hauntings, curses, hexes, demonic possessions, cryptozoological sightings, or any loss of sleep that results from listening to this podcast. This is the Scream Kings podcast. I'm Nathaniel Darkish. And hey, it's Max George. Evil podcasts tonight. Oh boy, everyone. Thank you for returning. We've got evil abound in our lives, I feel like, lately, Nathaniel. Or at least chaos. Oh, man. We want to give a huge and very sincere apology to all of our listeners. Nathaniel and I have had quite the eventful last two months. Uh, Pazuzu really just decided he wanted to screw us all over. So, and not in fun ways. Yeah, yeah. None of the fun of potential connotative meanings of that word. Instead, it's been... Various illnesses running through both of our households, some multiple times. All sorts of technical issues, which are still continuing. I am recording this using Bluetooth earbuds and my phone as opposed to my usual setup because, you know, heaven forbid my web browser recognized my microphone. You know, just just stuff like that. And But that's just like scratching the surface. There's been career developments and and a lot of the stuff is actually good stuff it's just it's a lot guys but you've still been in our hearts and in our minds (laughs) yeah and i think at the same time we've had halloween and we both have kids with halloween so that always gets complicated and then it felt like two weeks later it was thanksgiving all of a sudden and then tis the season to be sick it's just crazy let's just say we're very glad to be back we hopefully won't have delays like this again (laughs) anytime soon and even when we do have these delays we still love you all and we miss you dearly and we miss podcasting and i mean i don't know about you but i at least have have like been consuming all sorts of like really great other horror content and so i'm like oh man i i I, like have like 30 episodes i want to do now (laughs) Yeah, and I I think it's important to remind everybody, too, that this is definitely not a job for either of us. We love this podcast. We love the genre of horror. Uh, But sometimes life happens, and you and I, from the very beginning, have always, you know, prioritized our families and life. So thank you again for everyone being patient. Uh, We're back! And we will do our darndest to stay back without ridiculous delays again. But if they happen know that it's just how it goes sometimes all right well uh should we move into our uh first of two movies that we're going to be talking about today oh it's going to be a brutal podcast we are returning with a vengeance yes so yeah not not only are we going to be talking about two different movies today um that are not really connected outside of both coming out around the same time you know, within a, within a month or so of each other, we're, 
we're not going to say nice things. Let's just put it that way. Just just get it, getting that up front. We're going to talk about two movies we don't like that are big, significant movies in the horror genre right now. Both these movies came out around Halloween. Uh, so again, we're kind of throwing it back. But if there was a podcast version of a roast, uh, this is going to be it, everyone. So <laughs> we are going to lean into two movies, Malignant and the new Halloween. Halloween kills. And it killed me, for sure. Yeah, uh, it, it's bad horror movies roasting on an open fire tonight, guys. Oh, hey. Okay. Whoa! Um, yes. So, uh, I guess let's k- kick things off with a discussion of Malignant, which I'll just say, I I don't get why this movie is as beloved as it is in the horror community right now. Like, I feel like it's one of those movies that, like, a lot of horror fans are really rallying around and saying like oh this is like the best horror movie of the year and for all of you who feel that way i have one question it's huh? <laughs> yeah <Because> so let's <laughs> let's let's maybe give some context here malignant came out earlier this year um is it it's james wan isn't it yeah uh and the trailers to this movie really built it up to be something pretty spooky i think uh when you watch the trailers for malignant you get excited the horror tingles inside of you uh kind of start to come out and yeah i just am so confused i don't even know where to start nathaniel this this movie i think tries so hard to kind of crack open cult culture and be something that fans have adored from like evil dead kind of this over-the-top campy movie but it's trying so damn hard that it just comes off kind of nauseating really yes um i I, so there is a a glowing review uh for this movie (laughs) that i that i found on imdb like and and that i unironically loves this movie but i think just the title of their review perfectly captures why i yeah i think both you and i are just like this is just too much of a movie it it describes it as a murder mystery 80s slasher kung fu sci-fi body horror <laughs> b-movie splatter comedy uh, yeah so it is all of those things um and i think once. that is way too many things i'm okay with like most of those things individually in fact I'm, I'm great with all of those things individually and i'm i'm great with a combination of like three or four of those things but that was like seven things guys like i like some really bonkers stuff but uh, it was so much it was so much yeah so a little kind of background about the movie again uh it's about a main character a woman who uh, i'm still very iffy on the details she almost feels like that there is something that kind of invades her house it kills a very abusive husband um Mm -hmm. who we can talk about that in a minute but then this entity inside the house almost seems to start to possess her It, it feels very much like a demonic possession movie for the first third but also like 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 she has some sort of like psychic connection to um some sort of serial killer and that's all ignoring the cold open that made basically no sense 
that was set, you know, many years before, and it's just like doctors screaming and running away from some angry child in a mental hospital, and it's very unclear what the hell is going on in that scene. Yeah, and to save us all time and energy, really what ends up happening is this entity is somehow like a conjoined twin that's living inside her and slowly from the inside out beginning to control this poor woman and make her do all these unthinkable things. So you throw out the first two-thirds of the movie where it's building up about demonic possession and even like... Or a psychic connection... Yeah, or even like extrasensory kind of mediumship to some extent. It all throws it out. And it it becomes this weird, campy slasher. And the poor character's face like splits apart. And then it's the weird twin. And then somehow she gets superpowers and can do all sorts of stuff. It's just so wild. It is so wild. And and also, like, she's, like, moving backwards, and somehow her body works that way as she's, like, moving backwards. And it's all related to a stay in a mental hospital in the past, and it is so much <laughs> going on. And, okay, so, like, the, so, some, some things that I think that, that this movie is, de- this movie is the, exactly the kind of movie that it wants to be. Like, James Wan is clearly made this movie to be a love letter to, like, Italian giallo films, which are, tend to be absolutely bonkers. Um, you know, it's definitely lots of just, you know, kung fu tributes and splatter comedy tributes and everything else. Like, it's a lot of just, like, the, the most over-the-top campy ideas in horror, you know, it's it's him writing a love letter to all of those things. But again, I think because it's so many things, any of the individual parts that like should have been, uh, you know, that, that I should have been able to pluck out and just go, oh, well, at least this idea is kind of interesting, even though I don't like, you know, how it comes together as a whole. None of them work because, well, kind of like you're getting at, like earlier on in the film. You know, it was very clearly, like, setting up, like, some possession stuff. And then also, like, she is in her home, and then, like, it's a vision of someone getting murdered. But then later on in the film, apparently she was the one doing the murdering, which isn't how space and time work. Things like that, where it's just, like, she is there doing these things, but she isn't there. So how is that working? So, like, it's one of those, like, the more you look at kind of the the twists and turns of the story the less everything that happened before makes any sense at all. Yeah, and I can fully understand why people, to some extent, like this movie. You know, it it is a love letter to a lot of the fun, campy things about horror that have continued through the years. Like you just said, I think really the Achilles heel of Malignant is it tries to cram it into this giant mess of a ball and then shove it down your throat. You know, within the first 15 minutes, I mentioned earlier this abusive husband. Uh, the main character goes up, and he's in the bedroom, and they're kind of having this little romantic chitty chat. And then she talks about the baby that she's pregnant with, and all of a sudden, he just, like, completely flips and just leans into her about her, like, losing the babies before. And, and it was jarring because it felt so forced, so random. 
and just not present in what we were focused on at the time. And I think that really set the stage for the rest of the movie. It, it has these moments where you're like, okay, maybe it's reining itself in, maybe it's pulling together, and then it just jumps to 90 miles an hour. And it, it just is jarring and uncomfortable. And I don't know, for me, as a horror critic, it made me bored. I just didn't care anymore. The characters are yeah. dumb. The villain is dumb. The whole damn movie is dumb. Yeah, yeah, I, I definitely agree that that was unfortunately, yeah, where it, where I went to. Like, instead of the fun, you know, ride that a lot of, like, really bonkers movies take me on, like, anything by Sam Raimi, <laughs> for example. Yeah, right. Like, drag me to hell, you know? Yeah, drag me to hell, the Evil Dead movies, Dark Man, whatever. Like, I, I can go along for the ride. Like, not all of them are super my bag. Um, you know, I, lo I love me Evil Dead. I think Dark Man is pretty decent. I didn't really like Drag Me to Hell, but even still, I had fun with it, even though I was just kind of eh about it at the end of the day. But this movie didn't even really let me have fun because, again, I just felt like... It felt like I... Whenever things started to get interesting in one plot thread, it was like someone changing the channel. And for some reason, all of the the sets and the characters look the same, but it's a different movie now. And then flipping the channel, flipping the channel, flipping the channel, occasionally going back to the first channel, flipping the channel again. And so it just... It, it didn't feel like it was one story. It wasn't cohesive. It was so off the wall, hard to understand, yeah, it, that it it wasn't fun or entertaining for me, I just, yeah, very quickly, like, started, like, playing on my phone, which, I mean, is not great for me trying to review a movie, but, like, it was the only way that I even got through it. Yeah, and for me, I fell asleep. I don't fall asleep in movies. Uh, I love movies. It's how I kind of cope with the world. One of my, you know, big hobbies. And so to fall asleep in a movie for me is kind of a big deal. I just, overall, I think this movie, you know, we, we're talking a lot about how it's just kind of a rambling mess. I, to some extent, I can see why people enjoyed that. I have a dear friend of mine who is a big fan of the podcast. Um, she's been on the podcast and she adores this movie. She thinks it's a hoot, but for her... She doesn't love it because it's a good movie. She loves it so much because it's such a bad movie. And I, I will, I'm going to have to admit that there's, you know, some power to that. You know, there are certain movies out there that are so bad they start to become good. Um, but for me, there has to be something redeeming about the movie. Uh, the storytelling has to be creative. The plot has to be fun. There has to be some element that makes me care and malignant you know just by a third of it in i just didn't did not care if i'm honest and i had not known about the movie or had watched the trailers leading up to this and it had it not been on hbo for pete's sake um i would have thought this was a b movie a b real movie like that description you like, gave like just a few some minutes bonkers ago bonkers movie that i yeah up. yeah and it kind of was i mean lamageddon sounds more cohesive than this piece of shit yeah i Ugh. i'm gonna take it up one step further this movie was so bad to me 
that <laughs> I have actually gotten to the point that I just went, I think maybe James Wan is bad at making movies, and that the Conjuring and Conjuring 2 are good by some sort of weird cosmic mistake. But because Malignant is very aggressively bad, and Aquaman was aggressively bad, and, <laughs> um, like, the first Saw movie was pretty good, you know? But, again, that might have been a huge fluke. Um, this, this movie reminded me a lot in terms of its, like, bonkersness and its tone to Dead Silence, which I didn't like, but it's, like, Dead Silence if Dead Silence was literally on acid. Um, and so, like, to, to me, I, I kind of just don't think James Wan is the it guy in horror that I think we've all believed he, he has been. You know, I, I would say the, the Conjuring movies have maybe deceived us. And, 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 you know, the, the good parts of, of Insidious. Insidious was great until it wasn't. This movie was just the bad stuff in Insidious shoved together with weird, you know, giallo tropes. <laughs> yeah, I, I think this is something that we need to kind of focus in on a little bit here is, you know, we have talked a lot about how we can tell when horror movies care, when the directors and the actors in a horror movie really are invested in the storytelling. It's very apparent when you watch it. Um, a movie that comes to mind that does this really exceptionally, I think, is Invisible Man that came out right before the pandemic hit. You know, by, overall... By his, his writing partner, Lee Wano. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, Invisible Man, to me, wasn't an amazingly perfect movie, but the plot was committed, the characters were committed, and you could tell that it had a purpose. It was trying to accomplish something. And James Wan, I think... Uh, did that in Conjuring 1 and Conjuring 2, but also I think he was kind of constrained to the Warren's telling of the story. Uh, factual inaccuracies aside, Conjuring 1 and Conjuring 2 are pretty relatively, you know, grounded in the stories that the Warrens told about these two families. Yeah. Um, you know, in Conjuring 2, you have the creepy, I can't even remember his name, Spring Hill Jack or whatever that demon that I'm sure will get. The his crooked movie. man. Crooked Man, thank you. Um, and then we also have the nun, who kind of is a superfluous addition, but, you know, was a fun, spooky monster. But again, those two movies had that purpose and had that drive and were grounded in a story that Juan couldn't really modify. He could, but he chose not to. Um, and executed two very well movies. And then you kind of shift to this piece of crap and then also Conjuring 3. Uh, well, he didn't do Conjuring 3 is the, is the oh, thing. And so, right, so to right. me, Excuse Conjuring me. 3, I was like, oh, maybe, yeah, James Wan, you know, leaving the series was, you know, to the, the detriment of, of the Conjuring verse. And now, having seen Malignant, I don't know if that's true. <laughs> yeah. I, 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 it's just such a bad movie. Um, and, and plot point aside, like the cinematography was also really weird. There's that crazy jail scene where there's this character who she's like dressed like she's in the 70s and it just feels super displaced. And I'm all for some 70s fashion, but 
it, it needs to make sense in the world. It, it just this, if I had to sum it up, this movie just does not make sense at all. The plot, the storytelling, uh, the characters, the, the horror, it's just a dumpster fire. Yeah. And it, it has so much potential, but it just like fundamentally rejects like how human bodies work, time works, um, <laughs> mental health works. And, and like, again, I, 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 I am very willing to suspend a lot of my disbelief. Sure. But yeah. And I think that's freaking a... parkoured over that and ran as far as it could. It literally parkoured over that. <laughs> Yeah, uh, yeah, the spending belief is important. You know, I, I'm very for that. And a lot of times I get pretty frustrated with people who, when they're watching a movie, especially something in the, the fantasy or the sci-fi, the horror realm, and they call out like factual inaccuracies of like, oh, that can't happen or whatever. Sure. Like you've got to dispense your belief, but this movie requires you to completely reject that. And I think that's inherently wrong. It, it does have to be grounded. This movie is not grounded. Yeah, there has to be some rules to the world. And it seems like whenever I thought I had a grasp on what the rules of this cinematic universe is, it just went, ha ha, just kidding. Nothing that you saw actually was real at all. It pooped the bed, as you're so famously known for saying. Yeah, <laughs> but it did it like 17 times, which <laughs> is a new record. No one wants to clean that bed. All right. Well, let's. I, w- I will say. Wait, wait. I, I want to say one good thing about it. I actually laughed out loud when it had the line. Oh, okay. So I'll put a bow out for sloth from the Goonies when the, when she like draws, you know, the the mysterious monster man uh, for the cops. Just that line actually like got me back invested for like three seconds because I laughed, and then it went back to just being terrible again. Um, Can we? Can we talk about those caricatures of cops and how they were just so asinine and pathetic? And I felt like um, mall cop Paul Blart hired the two of them. Uh, I think Paul Blart mall cop would have been at least slightly more accurate in terms of how police work works. <laughs> right? Uh, my probably favorite, least favorite moment was after our poor protagonist like is taken over by the, the twin or whatever. And just goes on like some psychopathic murder rampage, and then she wakes up in the hospital, and she has this realization like, "Oh, that couldn't have been me, but it was me the whole time." So this just like normal human woman was able to parkour, and uh, I keep talking about it, and it just makes it more ridiculous. So I'm gonna stop. Yeah, I, <laughs> and and also, I'll, like I will say that like you know I. I have, uh, you know, like coworkers um, who we we always like to talk about horror movies. You know, like some of these coworkers, I, I like went and saw Doctor Sleep with when it was in theaters and stuff like that. Literally, like two days ago, I was having a conversation with one of them, and she was like, "Hey, by the way, have you seen Malignant?" And I'm like, "Yes." And she's like, "It was bad, right?" And I'm like, "It was so bad." <laughs> <laughs> and that was the whole conversation. Uh, so, uh, what do you give it, screams and crowns wise? All right, as far as screams go, I gave it a two. Um, there were moments, little flickers. Um, yeah, th- there was some pretty creepy-looking, goopy nonsense. Uh, and, and for that, 
I also gave it a two. Everything else was just so stupid I didn't get scared. <laughs> yeah, I, I was never scared or spooky, but I can appreciate you know a, a well creative horror moment. Yeah, and I would just say mostly the goopy looking face on the back of her head was pretty disgusting. Yeah, and that that earned that whole two. <laughs> Crowns wise, uh, I gave it a two again. Just you know, it's not a good movie. It could be worse, but it would be a stretch. I also gave it a two. I do not care for this movie. I I started out giving it a one, but the movie we're about to review next, I think, is even worse. So I'll let that be. <laughs> Fair enough. Okay. Well, before we jump into our next movie that we're going to roast, Halloween Kills, um, let's have a nice palate cleanser. Uh, a be real game. We need because like a it's theme it's helpful song for these. You know what? Challenge accepted. This one's gonna have a theme <laughs> song now. <laughs> Perfect. So our theme for the be real game is Amityville. <gasps> oh no! <laughs> oh, this might be detrimental to you. I know my Amity movies pretty well, so we'll see. Oh, bring this, it on! You, let's let's just say I'm gonna have have ones, and then I'm going to proceed to read off a list of other ones that exist that I didn't include on the list that are even crazier. Oh boy! Because oh. even I have limits, so. <laughs> So our first film is titled Amityville Butcher Shop. A butcher shop is built on the lot where the Amityville Horror House has been torn down, but evil seeps up through the soil and into the butcher and his meats. Soon, a (laughs) cleaver-wielding maniac cuts through the town house by house, while possessed steaks, ropes of sausage, and an vengeful haggis trap families inside. Overall score? I will kill if you do not get me a shirt for Christmas that says Vengeful Haggis. (laughs) Oh, I already have your Christmas present. Uh, Continue. What makes you think that that this one's mine? Um, The the score here uh, is 1.8 out of 10. And the review uh, I found for it uh, gave it a 2 out of 10 and said, Not even Gordon Ramsay could manage to make this tasteless Amityville knockoff worth consuming. Oh, no. All right. All right. All right. Cool. Cool, cool, cool. Our next one is Amityville Clown House. Forty years after the original Amityville murders, a cursed antique toy finds its way to a brand new family who become the latest victims of possession in the undying legacy of evil. Overall score is 2.2 out of 10, and the review gave it 1 out of 10, and said, The director should be ashamed of himself. This movie made me dumber watching it, and gave me eye eye cancer. (laughs) Or is it Amityville Toy Box? A cursed antique toy monkey from the original DeFeo home wreaks havoc and possesses a father after being gifted during the annual family reunion. 
score 2.1 out of 10. And the review gave it 2 out of 10. And the review simply just said, uh, just for this movie, I made an account to warn all. These movies make me feel like I can do it. Like, I've always wanted to be a movie director. And if people have directed these and have created these things, like, why can't I? Uh, it's a fair question. All right. So, oh, is, is our fake one uh, the you know butcher shop that Gordon Ramsay couldn't even manage to save? The clown house that gave the viewer eye cancer? Or the toy box that warranted making uh, an IMDb account just to warn people about it? I... <sighs> Feel the burn. And not the Bernie Sanders burn. Ha! <laughs> okay, my deduction skills here are solely based on the phrase eye cancer. That feels like a very Nathaniel phrase, so I'm guessing the second movie. <gasps> I win! Woohoo! What one was it? The Butcher Shop. Oh, Vengeful Haggis! Dang it! Uh, the Vengeful Haggis. So do you want to hear even worse movies that I did not include in my uh, Amityville B-Real game? Oh, I do and I don't at the same time. But tell now, me. some of these haven't come out yet, so, you know, things to look forward to. Oh, Lord. So, on the, on the tamer end, we have things like Amityville 1992. To it's about time, or Amityville Cop, or Amityville Uprising, or Vampire, or Cult, or Scarecrow, or Island, or Asylum, or No Escape, or Dollhouse, or the Amityville Hex, or the Amityville Harvest, or the Amityville Shark House, or if we want to get really interesting, uh, Amityville Bigfoot, Amityville Karen, Amityville Vampire. Uh, the Amityville Vibrator, which came out this, or this, uh, that one came out last year. Uh, it's, there's so many of them. It's honestly just, if you type Amityville in INDB and then just scroll and scroll and scroll, there are so many. I do have to congratulate you where congratulations are needed. You finally bested me, Nathaniel. Yes, it's been a very long time. I've only bested wow. you one other time, but I did it. Congratulations. <sighs> I feel so good. I needed that. And now oh, we're going to need some laughs. Get through Halloween kills. Oh, boy. Okay. Where do we even start with this one? Um, there is this thing going on right now in cinema where i think horror fans there's this renaissance to some extent of old horror films being revitalized uh halloween i think was a pretty big one we have the scream movie coming out i believe early this coming year yeah it's in january and i cannot wait halloween is not my favorite horror movie i have to admit that uh the original jamie v curtis michael myers the whole she bang it's it's a classic, and I appreciate it for what it's for. It's iconic. Uh, Michael Myers is iconic. Jamie Lee Curtis is iconic. 
And I, I think the movie really kind of set the stage for our modern day slashers. I mean, we could get into the, that whole debacle. So I'm going to give Halloween yes. credit where credit is due. Yes, it's, it's an important movie, even if it doesn't necessarily speak to either of us. Sure, sure. Um, with that said, I do not understand this whole damn franchise. Uh, I struggle with slasher movies. I will be the first to admit it. Um, I will go to, uh, you know, a convention about it. Slasher movies to me, I struggle with because it's rare to me that I find a slasher movie where the slasher is human. Where it's fully human. It has weaknesses, can be defeated. Um... And, and, and to me, yeah, like, like that often is what makes for a slasher appeal uh, to be appealing. Like that's why I love the, the Scream franchise so yeah. much, is because they are very fallible villains, and also like it plays with the tropes of the genre in such interesting ways. But yeah, I like I, I agree. Like Halloween is hard for me to get invested in because, um, especially with most of the sequels out there it just like it doesn't matter what happens because he's just going to kill everybody and to me you know a cool death isn't really as appealing as uh i don't know uh, other things that you see in other horror movies so halloween kills is a direct kind of sequel from the remake halloween uh or, or the the sequel with the reboot name i don't know Whatever you want to call it. Uh, so it quickly follows Jamie Lee Curtis and her family. They think they have killed Michael Myers by burning down the house, and they're all headed to the the hospital to kind of recover. They did it. They finally killed Michael. But surprise! Michael somehow survives an entire house burning down. Not only that, he then escapes from the burning house, still, like, fully cognizant and not suffering from smoke damage whatsoever um, i have a very good friend who was staying at a hotel and the hotel basement caught fire and he may have you know inhaled perhaps 10 minutes of smoke fire and he's still suffering consequences from it there's no way in hell michael myers was uh, surviving anyway that's a side rant and not just surviving, but then proceeds to murder, like, 47 people. Yeah, not just surviving, he's thriving! He is living his best life! His mask gets spookier, and he, like, murders and goes to town on a team of firefighters, and just massacres them. And because, then... heaven forbid, any of them, like, come at him at the same time. He fights them one at a time. <sighs> and and this is where the movie just kind of explodes. Uh, we Which is start... literally like three minutes in. <laughs> I despised this movie. I saw it in theaters and I was pretty pissed about it because I don't understand why everyone loves the Halloween franchise so much. And this movie in particular was literally just pandering to audience. There were tons and tons of these weird rando cameos from other movies in the franchise but this is supposed to be like outside of the franchise so the timeline you know this is a direct sequel from the original but all of these extra characters who happened in the sequels somehow still exist in this universe 
Yeah, there's lots of stuff. Or or it's like, oh, hey, they were a small child in the first one, and so now they're, you know, a 60-year-old man and, you know, shouting uh, evil dies tonight over and over again and rallying the troops. And I'm like, because they all live in the same town still, they all still regularly hang out, they all haven't let anything meaningful else happen in their lives, any, any of them. Like, I, I get it. Like, some people, they have something traumatic like this, and it, it defines their whole life. And that's very unfortunate, and, and, it, and that is real. But that's not everybody. And I just hate that it's, like, every single character in this one. Yes, and so this movie... The protagonist really is Michael Myers. Um, Michael is kind of the star of everything. You have this group of renegades who are finally sick and tired of the reign of Michael. And so they're hellbent on finding him and killing him. Also, while not telling Jamie Lee Curtis, because, you know, that would make sense. And so as the movie progresses, you start to kind of feel this weird political subplot start to develop about like fake news and police aren't doing what the public wants so we'll take matters into our own hands and evil dies tonight being chanted over and over and over it, it for me when i was watching it in the theaters for a moment i was kind of enthralled to some extent because i was getting some strong uh you know assault on the capital january vibes it, it felt like there was a message at play here that they were trying to convey that this is the terrifying nature of these riots. That when certain people get hellbent on their ideas and start to you know, push those ideas through, there's nothing we can do. And that's but, terrifying. And, and, and I, I definitely think that that was woven in. You know, but to me, that felt like a last-minute like, message that they tried to like just tack in and post. You know, they, they found a way to kind of bend it around that because it didn't feel, like, authentic to the plot because these are also supposed to be our heroes that we're cheering for, except for then now we're not supposed to cheer for them anymore because they, like, you know, do some really heinous stuff and chase a, you know, mental patient uh, to committing suicide in a, in a hospital, which, again, also just... That's... Okay. <laughs> I guess that happened. Um, yeah, it's it's just like it, it felt like they they said, "Oh, well, I guess the mob mentality of this has the potential to relate to the riots." I guess so. Let's find a way to kind of tack that in, but also we so we still want to cheer for these people, even though we're gonna have them do some really horrendous crap over the course of this movie. And also, no one is capable at do of, of doing anything. I don't know why these people think that they can you know, take down Michael when they aren't smart enough to figure out that if someone is on the roof of your car, you shoot into the roof and not just shoot out all of the windows at the yeah, thing this... above you. Uh, this whole political subplot, it was go, excuse me, going somewhere and then it just stopped. And I don't know if they were trying to make you feel compassion for these titular characters and these, like, franchised characters, but it was just worthless. I was rooting for Michael the entire time, because at least he was getting shit done. You know, I, I think another thing that, that's interesting to point out is that 
the way that everyone in this town is reacting to Michael and the idea of Michael and, you know, that they're all chanting evil dies tonight and all of that. They're reacting to him as though the eight zillion other Halloween movies existed. But in this canon, he had the Halloween night in the 70s, and then he had the night that was just earlier that night that he killed like four people. Right. And then proceeds it, to kill like 80 more people over the course of this movie. And it's like, n- not any of that. Like, it, it just seems like a real insane overreaction. And some people are going to do that, but like, they're acting like, you know, freaking Hitler just entered this place. Not a guy who admittedly is a horrifying human being who murdered, you know, 10 people, but that's over the course of 40 years. And most of, you know, and half those murders were 40 years ago. That's, I don't know, it just, it it didn't feel like the inherent basis of it was, like, an appropriate response. (laughs) Yeah, and and furthermore, I think another huge weakness of this movie is the trailers made Jamie Lee Curtis feel like, again, this heroine who's going to come and save the day. The bitch was hardly in the movie, Nathaniel. Yeah, she was basically in a hospital bed the whole time, and that's fine if you're gonna... But don't sell her as the protagonist if she's, like, really just waiting for the third movie. Yeah, it just was a huge disservice. I would have loved kind of that moment again where it's Jamie Lee Curtis versus Michael Myers and there's this huge confrontation and maybe just maybe she finally kills him herself you know she sacrifices some of her her humanity to kill this monster I think that's very provocative but instead we get these whitewashed caricature cookie cutter kind of hicks who have no depth and no Compassion. I just did not care about anybody. Um, especially as a queer individual, there's a scene where Michael Myers comes into these uh, this gay couple's house. They live in the original Michael Myers house. And I. Big John and Little John, because that's the, you know, the most clever thing that they could come up with. Oh, it was so distasteful. It felt like that trope of, oh, here's this marginalized group of individuals we're going to tokenize them and kill them you know we had the black couple in the beginning of the movie michael kills them they are completely helpless to michael and then where do we yeah, go all next? of these characters are are cannon fodder yeah uh, where do we go next we go to the gay couple and what does michael do just just decimates them they have no chance the only people who had a chance against michael were the cis hetero white people and i hated that Ooh, and, well, and, and also, and, and also, I think what what it makes it so unfortunate with you know Big John and Little John is that they were the comic relief in the movie up until that point, right? Which so so they are the token gays to laugh at and then watch get brutally murdered. Uh, yeah, and yeah, so it, it, it felt like some sort of dig. diversity for diversity's sake, but also like. Hey, well, I just need to kill a bunch of people, and so, oh, well, we'll we'll care about them more in today's political climate. So we'll feel bad that that the that the silly gays that we laughed at are are dead now. Like that, 
What, what kind of reductive, insane nonsense is that? Right, right. But I think that sells. That is the tragedy of movies like this. I could go on and on with a stum movie. Uh, the next point I want to talk about, though, is kind of what we discussed earlier, is Michael ascends his mortal bounds. You know, towards the end of the movie, the villagers finally seemingly kill him. And then Jamie Lee Curtis has this wish-washy monologue about how evil can never die and evil begets evil and every time michael kills it's just evil growing stronger and stronger and sure the idea that evil begets evil is pretty cool in some extent um and again if we go back to the original halloween franchise you have the curse of the thorn and kind of this backstory of michael of why he kills and the reasons why he kills and the reason why he is seemingly supernatural uh, but we're suspending all of that because this is a direct sequel so michaels is literally just a guy but somehow he gets you know curb stomped by this mob and stabbed and assaulted and killed but then he stands back up and he gets his revenge because evil can't die ah! I need a well, drink. And, and, and like, and, <laughs> like and, and inherently, like, it seemed like what it was doing, it was, you know, it seemed to, to be saying, hey, the evil that's happening tonight is going to create a new monster. And so that actually kind of would have been interesting that basically if they, you know, the fact that they kill Michael as a mob and all that then could result in a, th you know, and, and Halloween ends not actually having Michael, but having someone inspired by the bad things that happened that night. That's what it s seemed like it was setting up with that weird monologue that Jamie Lee Curtis has and all of that, but it wasn't. Instead, it just was like, oh, well, it's actually not about you at all. Like, you matter so little to him. And she's like, well, I'm going to hunt him down anyway. And then he runs off into the woods or something. I don't know. It, it's it's weird. It it undoes everything that the previous movie does, and nothing that happens in this movie actually matters. And I don't know. Yeah, like it's just garbage. It was just filling time for two hours to set up a, a third movie and an arbitrary set of sequels. And and what really bums me out about this, like more than anything else is I thought that the 2018 Halloween actually was okay. Like, I didn't love it, but I at least had, like, a, an okay experience with it. I, I actually, in terms of, like, the things I'm looking for in a horror movie, actually was kind of more on board with it than the original Halloween, and I know that that is going to get me some flack. But, like, just <laughs> pure entertainment. I was like, oh, like, hey, there's some interesting ideas in this one. You know, I... I felt like the reliance on having you know quirky podcasters investigating everything which is in <laughs> everything these days that made me roll my eyes and all of that but like as a whole i don't know i'd give halloween 2018 like a six or a seven overall like you know i i had fun with it and this movie was just like i i don't know if i still can wrap my head around the idea that like this is the same director who made that one yeah what? What is going on? Why? Where are good horror movies? Yeah, it just... I'm just so baffled. 
Yeah, uh, it has not been a kind year to horror. I don't think there have been gems, and and I think that there's some some really good horror in that that is out there that isn't you know just in the realm of film or things like that. Like I would say that the big budget, you know, big name horror that you know was the the spectacle that everyone went and to to go see. That's where we've had some some big gaps in quality. Some this year. big old big old flops. Um, last thing I want to say is the dialogue in this movie was absolute cringe. If cringe yeah. was any sort of something like fringe, and how gross fringe is, this is how oh, the cringe. Oh, oh, this movie. It's like I... if bad stilted dialogue could give you syphilis, you would definitely have syphilis. <laughs> Oh, gosh. Um, And I think, you know, uh, we talked a little bit about this before we started recording, Nathaniel. There is, uh, you know, Malignant and Halloween Kills are kind of in the same realm. They're very terrible horror movies. But for me, I was more offended by Halloween Kills than I was Malignant. I hate Malignant, but I loathe Halloween Kills. And I think... The reason behind that is Malignant at least tried to be unique and creative. It failed at that. Halloween Kills, to me, was kind of an affront of everything creative and original horror is about. It just did not care. It did not care about being good. It solely relied on these actors that people have watched throughout the years. It solely relied on a monster who's grown to be iconic. It had zero substance for me, and I, I'm sorry, but if you like this movie, I would question your taste a little bit, because it just, it didn't do anything to merit my respect. I said it. There, I said it. (laughs) That said, if you love, if you love these movies, I actually want to hear why. Agreed, agreed. Fair. Make make your <laughs> argument. Come come at us at, on on Twitter because I I'm not saying you're wrong. I'm just saying I don't get it. Like I don't. Yeah. To me, this is the the bottom rung of 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 good horror. But thankfully, on the other end of it, you know, we had Midnight Mass. So you know. Yes. So it was a great year for horror, just not the big budget stuff. <laughs> Not yet, at least. I haven't watched Antlers yet, but I haven't been hearing the great things about that one either. I've heard very mixed things. I hope it's good. But, you know. Alright, well, if you're still with us after this huge long rant, thank you. (laughs) Wait, 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 wait. We haven't given it Screams and Crowns yet. Oh, that's right. We have to at least credit it. Oh, boy. So, how many Screams did you give Halloween Kills? Also gave it a two. Um, Michael himself is very intimidating and scary. More so than that, the music coupled with his mask and just kind of his dominance that he portrays on screen is pretty frightening. Uh, And whether that is kind of a nostalgic kind of trigger, I don't care. It still kind of got under my skin. That's why I gave it a two and not a one. Because that theme song coupled with him just staring in the distance is always going to kind of get under my skin. That's fair. I, I gave it a four for, for very similar reasons. I would say, you know, there are a few moments that were pretty genuinely scary. Unfortunately, those movie, the, those moments were during the movie Halloween Kills. <laughs> oh, crowns. I gave it a flop. I gave it a one. 
straight up one. I I do not like this movie. I do not like it at all. <laughs> um, what? I thought one, you loved it from their review. Yeah, yeah. One of one of the worst horror movies I would have to say that I've seen. Um and and ask my boyfriend. I was like audibly groaning the entire movie. I think he hit me at one point because I was just like, "Uh, in the movie theater with everyone around. I feel a little bad for that. Sorry, people who watched the movie with me. I gave it a three, not because it's necessarily any better than Malignant. It's just that it's the kind of trash that I can at least follow the plot of. <laughs> but, again, that's a three out of ten. That's not good. Now, we can lay this roast to rest <laughs> in the name of lucifer satan amen how have you been saying spooky lately <laughs> you know these movies that i've watched recently have kind of killed my horror buzz a little bit to some extent which is a little sad um however uh, i believe i've mentioned this before in the past there is a really fun kind of queer-oriented show on Shudder. It's called Dragula. And if you're fans of RuPaul's Drag Race, Dragula takes that concept, uh, so high conceptual fashion drag queens, and makes it horror. Uh, so they're all very, very spooky. They lean into kind of the horror themes. But it's really cool as well because this show as opposed to RuPaul, which is a little bit more mainstream queer, this really accepts all forms of drag. So you have the horror drag, but you also have AFAB drag, which is female assigned at birth. So females impersonating drag females, which is, you don't really hear that very often. Uh, they also have like straight individuals doing drag. It's more about the art of drag through the lens of horror than it is about sassy gay men dressing up in drag. Uh, if that makes sense. Um, it's very provocative. It's also very campy and cheesy. <laughs> You've been warned. Um, but recently, that's kind of my main focus when it comes to horror. Uh, there are some really cool artists on the show right now who have done some really incredible artistic moments through horror. Uh, the second thing that I've been doing to stay spooky, and bear with me here on this one, uh, there's a little Netflix cartoon called Centaur World. And this show is absolutely bonkers. The writers of it had to have been high and on cocaine at the exact same time. It is kind of this comedic cartoon that is very tongue-in-cheek and very silly. You know, the first few episodes, there's a lot of like fart jokes and poop humor, this and that. Um, but it has some incredible music that kind of keeps adult audiences in tune with it. And then, as the story continues, it takes this terrifying dark turn, and the villain is revealed, and he's just this absolutely terrifying cartoon creature, and the plot just becomes very adult-focused, and you're just like, whoa, wait, what happened? <laughs> Um, it's just really fun and crazy and a nice palate cleanser. Still kind of spooky horror-esque. So that's well, what I've been doing. I'll take your word for that because looking at the photos of this, it looks... <laughs> it's so like deceiving! Of, of everything you... 
I know, of everything you stand for, Nathaniel. But I swear, it is, like, up there with Over the Garden Wall and Gravity Falls in terms of, like, well-developed, like, compelling cartoon storytelling. I, I will give it a try, even though it looks like not at all my kind of thing. <laughs> yeah, I get that. Well, um, huh. Just finding weirder <laughs> pictures. Okay, um, <laughs> I've been saying spooky, apparently just by learning about Centaur World. No, um, so I've, I've been playing some horror video games lately. So I recently played through Resident Evil Village, which was a great time. Definitely not as strong uh, of an entry in the series as, you know, like, uh, Resident Evil 7 Biohazard, the one that came right before it. Uh, that one is perfection. Uh, or even, like, Resident Evil 4, which, by the way, just came out on VR, which looks incredible and on VR. But Village was a lot of fun. It had some really fun twists and turns. It's it's really kind of rewarding for longtime fans of the Resident Evil series because it does throw you so many curveballs. I mean... It's got vampires, it's got a creepy doll, it's got all sorts of weird crap in it. And it's it's a fun time. Um, and, like, most of it wasn't that scary. It was just kind of fun, creepy, horror-rollicking through, you know, a, a weird Eastern European village. But there is that doll section that I mentioned. Oh, it's terrible. Oh, I hate it. I hate it. Especially just the things that happen in, in that basement of that house. Oh, good heaven. It, it it felt like all of the best parts of, like, Silent Hill 4 and Amnesia. And, oh, it was, it was upsetting. It, it definitely took a, a real dark turn in that section of the story. And I was there for it. Uh, I've also been playing... Um, through The Last of Us Part 2. I love the original Last of Us. I know uh, Part 2 has gotten a lot of people angry, but I think it's mostly because they kill a significant character in the very first start. That's like the whole premise of the second one. I'm okay with that because, you know, sometimes that's how stories go. You don't always get to have all your favorite characters around the whole time. <laughs> but that said, like I feel like it, it, it has some really interesting twists and turns. It's very masterfully told. It's a gorgeous game. It's disturbing and creepy and hard, and you know, it's 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 a good time. I I'm really enjoying it. I'm about a third of the way through it right now. It's also a fairly lengthy game, and yeah, I I definitely intend to beat it, and I I'm really enjoying my my playthrough of that. Not on the horror uh, video game side of things, but rather in the horror uh, books side. Uh, I just listened to the audiobook of a collection, I guess. it's So it, it's two tales of cosmic horror uh, by John Horner Jacobs. So the book is called A Lush and Seething Hell. It came out uh, in 2019... And so, yeah, it's it's two novellas. Um, the first one is called The Sea Dreams It Is the Sky. And then the second one is My Heart Struck Sorrow. The Sea Dreams That It Is the Sky was a pretty good story. It was it, It's kind of this um, weird, kind of paranoid, cosmic horror light story that is basically about a young woman who escaped uh, 
a like South American country after a bloody coup, going back there because uh, her friend who was uh, was a big important poet there went back and hasn't come back after a year. You know, her kind of hunting for him. That one's fun. Definitely has kind of, you know, very, like, you know, creepy men in dark suits following her around sort of stuff going on. It's it's a good time. The second story, though, the uh, story called My Heart Struck Sorrow, absolutely floored me. It is honestly some of the best horror I've read in the last ten years. It is basically about a folklorist looking into kind of local, like, blues songs and bluegrass and just, you know, like, very, like, like folk music and looking for this folk song that maybe is evil or powerful or both. And the closer he gets to the original version of that song, the more deeply upsetting it gets. Um, this, this sounds like my jam. I need this book. Yes. Yes. I'm not going to spoil anything for My Heart Struck Sorrow, but like, suffice it to say, some of the scenes in it just got under my skin in ways that I don't think anything I've read in horror has in a long time. It was disturbing and trippy and just viscerally upsetting. It's, oh, it is so good. <laughs> Yeah, I love that. I cannot cool. recommend it enough. Um, and and yeah, and and they're both really good on audio. The the readers are are very good at what they do, so highly recommend it. You know, easily. You know, ten out of ten would recommend. Awesome. Well, definitely stay tuned. Our holiday break is officially over. We will be back shortly with a new episode, hopefully themed around our lovely Christmas time. Saturnalia deserves some horror as well. Yes, and there, there's a whole giant realm of Saturnalia, Christmassy, wintry horror out there that we've only barely scratched the surface of. So stay tuned, and until next time, stay spooky. Stay spooky. Need even more Scream Kings? Here's our obligatory shameless social media plug. Follow us on Twitter or Instagram at Scream Kings Pod. You could also email us at ScreamKingsPodcast at gmail.com. Help us reach a wider audience of horror fans by leaving a review on iTunes or by sharing a link on social media. You could also support the show by going to Patreon.com forward slash ScreamKings. Stay spooky.